You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Uh, we're going to be in Romans 8 this morning. Romans 8. Grab a Bible. If you don't have one, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. Grab a Bible. Open it up. This is the Word of God. This is the truth of God. We want to... Uh, Make sure we're in it and studying it. Let me ask a few questions, though, before we jump in, because uh, if you haven't noticed yet, we try to get you involved. We want you involved in the service. I want your feedback. I don't just want to preach at you for 30 minutes. I really want to hear your heart. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty, you know, oh, we didn't do the intro thing this time. Yeah, that's probably for, you want to do it? Yeah, do it. Yeah, we did this right in the middle of me talking. Oh, yep, there it is again. Gosh, look at it, it's waving its wings. So awesome. Gets me every time. I forgot in first service, and they're, they're on the cues, and so I just started speaking, and it came up, and it was like, oh yeah, give room for the Holy Spirit, Nathan. Shut up. Um, so we're talking about this, and I, I want to hear from you. How did you grow up? Did, did you grow up... If you grew up in the church, did you grow up with the Holy Spirit front and center of Christian teaching and exhibited in the pastors and talked about? Uh, If you grew up in a Christian home, was the Holy Spirit, uh, did it lead conversation? Did your parents talk about being filled with the Spirit and acting out of the Spirit and any of that? Who, Who here grew up in a home like what I just mentioned or a church? Raise your hand high. Higher. Higher. Okay. Okay, so we have like eight people in here. This is good. Eight of you. That's a good start. Now, who grew up in a more Baptist, traditional, let's not let anything weird happen in service. We're going to sing our three songs. The pastor will come up and preach his 30-minute message, and then we will close. Who grew up in that kind of church and household? Look around. Look around. Okay. Right? Now, who grew up not in the church at all, and everything I've just mentioned sounds like a foreign language? Yeah, come on, look at that, yeah, right? So what I want us to see here is the differences, and why is something so central as the Holy Spirit so divided, right? Now, part of it is you say, well, Nathan, because you teach more Reformed, and that's sort of your background, so you have a church full of people who are more that way, and a few of the kooky people sneak in. (laughs) I know who you are. But the fact of the matter is, I don't care what church you're in, I don't care where you're at, what body of believers you're at, there is always this mix of people who say, yes, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I believe that I operate out of the power of the Holy Spirit as a Christian, and then there are those who say, please don't let anything weird happen. I believe in the Holy Spirit too, I just, nothing that can't be explained, I don't need any of this, and, and for good reason, right? Because it's been abused by men, hasn't it? Charlatans have come along and used and faked and duped people into believing the Holy Spirit was moving when that's not what was happening at all. And so we have this, we have this safety switch where we sort of just shut off anything mentioning the Holy Spirit because I don't want to be duped again. I don't want to be tricked into believing that a healing is happening or something supernatural is happening. I'll just stick to Bible reading and some 
pretty, you know, like vanilla Jesus. Just bland, safe, no indigestion. Romans 8, who wants to read verses 5 through 13? If you have NIV, that would be better. You could read it directly off the screen. Who wants to read it? It's time for you to get involved. Is, is, was that me? That was like the... Okay, you got it, Waleed. Oh yeah, you gotta be on the mic. You have a beautiful voice. Yeah, no. Uh, starting in verse 5, going to 13. Those who live according to the sinful nature. Move the mic a little closer. Oh, more? That's better. Okay, here I am. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what nature desires. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful man is hostile to God It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Keep going. Yeah. All right. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body Your body is dead because of sin, and your spirit is alive because of righteousness. I'm going to read it up there. (laughs) Yeah, you can look at that one. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Perfect, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, now, who can summarize for me basically in one sentence everything he just read? A guy did it in first service. Hey, wait, go, go ahead, you got it. If you're in the flesh, you're going to die. If you're in the spirit, you're going to live. Okay, so if I come to Jesus, I won't ever die. Physically, you will. Physically, I will, right. Okay, so spiritually, I will live forever. Yes. Okay, so yeah, it kind of goes back and forth, right? It says a lot of things two or three times. But what it's saying is, if you live by the spirit of the world, then your spirit remains dead and you die in that spirit. If you come and receive the spirit of Christ, it is that spirit that now lives what? in you. That's important. That God's spirit comes and takes up residence in you. He doesn't just change your spirit around, right? He doesn't do, give it a makeover, a Property Brothers makeover. He like literally comes and resides within you. He brings your spirit to life. We're born alive in our skin, but dead in our spirit. Did you know that? That we're born dead in spirit. And Jesus comes and transforms that, and we receive his spirit. Okay, so that's a great summation. So now 14 through 17. Who wants to read 14 through 17? Right here? Yep, should be good. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, who wants to sum up those last four verses? I'm looking over here. Come on. What's it? Front row. See if this? If we share in, in Jesus' suffering, then we share in the glory. That's exactly right. And why, why, why is that the case? Why is that the case? Because we are, we are children of God. We are children of God. We are heirs to the kingdom. We are heirs to exactly what it is that is God. So what he has given to Christ when we come, it says we are co-heirs along with Christ. Okay, so what does all this have to do with the Holy Spirit and um, why does it matter? Why does it matter? That should be a question you're asking. And that's what I wanna look at here this morning. What does the Spirit do? In the scriptures, what does he do? Well, it says the one, he regenerates us. He is the agent of being reborn. It is by the spirit, he brings to life that spirit in us that is dead, right? That's, the, that's the, sort of the first thing we see that the spirit does. He's the agent of rebirth. Secondly, the spirit sanctifies us. Sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming more like Christ. It doesn't happen instantly. It doesn't happen upon salvation. It doesn't happen because you got prayed over. It is continual. And the Spirit intercedes and the Spirit sanctifies us. And third, the Spirit anoints us with power. The Spirit anoints us with power. If you were to ask most Christians in America today, and I can only take who's in this room right now, but if I were to ask you have you felt the power of God? Have you used, have you been used by God in a way that is powerful, could be described as powerful? What would you say? See a few yeses. Anybody else? Anybody but the front and second row people? <laughs> All right, there we go. There's some in the back. Your second row, I already know. Yeah, doesn't count. No, it totally counts. Who else? Who would say that they feel powerful? And if I were to walk over to you with a mic right now, you would describe to me the moment that happened in your life where you felt the power of God. Who wants to give a testimony like that this morning? Really? You, sir? This is Don, Don Chisholm, wonderful man. Don? Give us a brief testimony of how the power of God is you have seen through the Holy Spirit. Well, I, after I was born again, and I do want to testify that because I've been in the church since 1962 and been serving the Lord since then. And uh, there is part of, that has been what we would call dead because they didn't know how to be alive in God. 
And there is that that is of the Spirit that makes us alive. And to be born again is a transaction. It's not something that you just read and confess and makes you a Christian. You transact with God. You receive His Spirit and He forgives you and baptizes you into the body of Christ. And that happened to me specifically in September 1962. In the same week, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit and was filled with the Holy Spirit and sensed the presence of God and it made me alive in Him. It gives you a new wanter. You start wanting what God wants you to want. Your old wanter is dead and He gives you a new one. But you must act upon it. And what He does with you is He, he talks to you about striving, pursuing, pressing on, not sitting in a parking lot, but to grow in God. And so he gave me that desire. And I've had the opportunity in Germany in 1972, went on an airlift with the full gospel businessmen, was in a church and after the service, I went up and laid hands on the back of a man. Somebody had asked me to pray for him. I didn't speak German. I started to pray for him he went into convulsions, stiffened up, slid down on the floor, and by the power of God, we cast a demon out of him. Amen. And in that same time, I was asked to go in, and I was a newbie, and all the other biggies had gone on, and I was getting ready to leave, and the pastor said, there's a woman here, she does not want to be exposed or come out in front, would you come into my office and pray for her? I looked, is there anybody, anybody else around who can do this? <laughs> And I went in and laid hands on her. First, I shared every scripture I could think about with faith to build my faith up, and I didn't have any. <laughs> but as I touched, somebody had faith. As I touched and laid my hands on her, her leg grew out four inches. She had extended heels this far. That next night, seven members of her family came to Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We'll be doing more of that over the next three weeks, and I want to hear from more of you. Um, we're going to have some platforms as well. I want to hear the Spirit of God, because the last thing you said there is so important. Seven fam family members came to know Christ because, what, the blood of the Lamb and the word of her testimony. I went to church, and God did this for me. And the more, we need to share more of that amongst one another. The Spirit makes us know the reality of God. If you have ever felt like you're standing in the presence of God, you're feeling the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. How many times have I been in church and I've heard it, it, it. He is not an abstract object. He is not a force. He is not a beam. He is a person. He is a being. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. He is not a part of God. He is not God's spirit. He is God. And I'll show you that in just a second here. The spirit gives us the truth of the word. So here's the thing. Every religion, every belief says it has the truth, right? I mean, why else would you have a religion if it didn't believe that it had the truth? But unlike Eastern religions, Buddhism and Hinduism, Taoism, we believe in an objective truth in Christianity, that there is one truth for all. 
Despite your economic background, despite cultural, religious background, despite gender, ethnicity, any of that, there is one truth, and that truth comes from one God. And that the Spirit led men to write this objective truth down and put it in a book that has survived for thousands of years. And you know you're holding on to that book right now, if you're holding on to it. You're holding on to something that has survived thousands and thousands of years, has, been, has tried to have been destroyed over and over again. And yet, in the midst of it being objective truth, Christianity is also deeply experiential, isn't it? We heard from Don this experience where he had already received the Spirit, he had already wanted more of Jesus, the Spirit was flowing out of him, and yet, he still had an experience where he got to see an anointing in God's power. And what did it do? Strengthened his faith. It's experiential. Now here's what I want to say about religion and why in America, why we don't see more of this. You're like, well, there's lots of it. Just go to the right church. Well, there's lots of something at churches. But one pastor said, America's church isn't the fastest growing church in the world to a degree because we are 3,000 miles wide and half an inch deep. I don't really think we have grasped the Spirit of God and what He does in our life. You know, we're the only nation known as a Christian nation. America, can you believe that? Us, a Christian nation. That's how the world knows us. And so they believe what a Christian is, is what they see in our movies and our TV and in our news and, and what the world knows about America. And they say, well, that's a Christian nation. How is it that God's spirit is not more alive? How is it Christians don't walk more in the power of his spirit? I want to I share with you this revival that I read in Ireland. In Ireland, a revival broke out in 1857. So, oh, there it is. A young boy who was 12 years old in the county of Derry in a town called Coleraine. Coleraine? Coleraine? Is there any Irish people here today? Coleraine? Did I get that right? I got it right? I'll just say, take your silence as a yes. Um, he's in school. The teacher can tell he's very unhappy. He's depressed. He's been this way. And so she says, why don't you go home? You might be sick. And so she asked another one of the boys in the class to walk with him home. And what had been going on with this young man is he had started going to the local church and heard about Jesus, and he was deeply troubled by whether or not his soul was saved. And this is what was going on. It was really bothering him. It just so happens the boy that the teacher chose to walk him home was a Christian. And so they talked about Jesus the whole way home. And when he gets to his house, he says, I want this Jesus. I want the confidence you have. And so the boy prays with him and he receives Jesus and his countenance changes. And all of a sudden he says, well, I don't need to be at home anymore. Let's go back to school. And so he comes back into the classroom and the teacher says, what's going on? What happened? And the boy says these words. There's no reason for me to go home. This is a true story, by the way. You can look it up. There's no reason for me to go home. I'm going to go back to school. Where is it up? He said, something amazing has happened. I have found Jesus. I am saved. And then he went and sat down. 
The room became extremely quiet. And the teacher didn't know what to do. And one by one, kids came up out of their seat and come, came to her and said, can I go talk to the kid who just found Jesus? <laughs> Over the next few minutes, the, be- the teacher began to see little groups of people forming. The kid who took him and then the kid who had just found Jesus. And they began to pray in small groups. <laughs> A couple hours later, many of the parents came to pick up their children and found all the classes were broken up into little prayer groups all over the courtyard. <laughs> Not just this one class, but all of them. And it wasn't just children, but teachers were also in these groups praying. They were leading one another to Christ. And so somebody said, what are we going to do about this? So they sent for Superman, one of the local pastors. I added the Superman part. That's not actually in there. When the pastor got there, he found the parents were involved. So parents started joining the groups, and they were involved, and they were coming to Christ. The school and the courtyard became so clogged with people from town that nobody would go home. So the minister began to try to talk to them, and he stayed there all night. There were dozens and dozens of people finding Christ, talking with one another, weeping and confessing their sins. The next day, somebody said, this is amazing what has happened. Let's get together and have a special church service and listen to the testimony of all these new believers. So they went to the church, and it couldn't fit all the people into it. So what they ended up having to do was go up to the side of the mountain. Virtually the entire town was there. When the minister had preached his sermon and they all prayed, he said, you can all go home. And nobody would. So they stayed there on the side of the mountain for two days straight singing, giving testimonies, and insisting that various ministers get up and preach the word to them. What ended up happening over the next two years is there were 300,000 people living in this northern part of Ireland in 1857 in six northern counties, and over a third of them were converted and gave their life to Christ over two years, over 100,000 people. So what happened? You see, every week I prepare my sermons and I put hours into my sermons and study a lot and pray a lot. Other pastors all over the country do the same thing as well. And yet this little kid walks in front of his class and says, Jesus has saved me. Everything's okay now. And sits down. And the entire culture is turned on its head. See, that's a revival, friends. That's what revival looks like. In fact, it can look like many things, but it usually starts with somebody who's willing to step out, who is unashamed, who hasn't been affected by the culture, burned by the charlatans, who isn't embarrassed to stand up and say, I'm a Christian, Jesus has saved me. They don't know enough to be embarrassed yet. They don't know that there's all these people out there who hate God and who have used God for malicious purposes. And so they're just free to share their their fire and their fire catches on. But what's happened in America, because we're a Christian nation, we're born into Christian home. Christian, I'll air quote it for you. We're born into Christian homes as we already believe we have this identity. In fact, we then go to church or group or we come up front and we say the sinner's prayer, we receive Christ, and as according to Scripture, we receive the Holy Spirit. That is true, you do. But then we don't ever go on beyond that. Then we begin to become calloused to the things of God. We begin, we go maybe to a Pentecostal charismatic church and they do some really weird things there and people make me feel uncomfortable and 
we don't go back. And then we go to a reformed church, right? Maybe a place that they don't do any of those things, but that place feels dead and there's just no life there, so we don't go back. And then we come to Life Point and we don't know what to think because it's sort of both of those people are there and they're somehow worshiping together. Amen. Amen. But the fact is we become callous and we allow our fire to die. And we say, where is that power I was promised? Where is the power the disciples had? Where is the power like that little boy had? Where is, where is the power? And so we have here in Romans 8 a perfect outline of who the Holy Spirit is and what his ministries are. And so the first two things I want to say about who the Holy Spirit is, first, he is God. Second, he is a spirit. Are we all clear on those two so far? Okay. I know they seem pretty obvious, but like I said, we tend to demote the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 and 10 of Romans 8, what we just read, are remarkable. It's going to use four equivalent names, and they're all talking about the same person, the Holy Spirit. This is what it says. The Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in your body, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So the Holy Spirit, one name, the Spirit of God lives in you, two, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, three, he does not belong to Christ, four. All those names are used to talk about the spirit, all equivalent, all God, all equal, none of them subject. Do you see that? There's an equality. People will say there's no doctrine of the Trinity in the Bible. It doesn't say Trinity in the Bible. Well, they haven't read the Bible. If that's the case, you haven't actually read the Bible. We can't go into the doctrine of the Trinity today. Oh my gosh, is it really 1054? I did it again. We're not even going to get to the good part. One of these weeks, we're just going to combine all the services and go for two hours because I can't have the spirit fall three separate times. This is seriously so good. I'm so excited. To sh- I can't believe, is it really that time? Okay. I got I, I, I to gotta wrap it up. I know. You got it. <laughs> what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? I'll leave you with this and then come back hungry next week. When you receive Christ, right? We're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ, you receive his Holy Spirit. We see that. We see that in Romans 8. I receive him at salvation. Jesus gives his disciples the power to teach, preach, and heal and perform miracles. So he sends them out under the power of the Holy Spirit. In John 20 verse 22, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit after waiting on the day of Pentecost. Acts 4, Peter and John pray for more boldness and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled, it says in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. This implies there is a continual filling, not like a cup, but more like, water, more like wind in a sail. Here's what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You receive God's Spirit at salvation, but God's Spirit is released in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's when the Spirit's released. And so many of you in here, like myself, grew up in a place where the Holy Spirit wasn't talked about. We made fun of holy rollers. We made fun of the charismatic people who get caught up in emotion and don't actually know the Bible. 
And we looked at the spirit as the thing that helps me pray to God, that I can go to and say, make me more courageous, make me more bold, help me with my test, help me in my relationship, help me with my children. There, the Holy Spirit helped me do that. And we demoted him to some sort of errand boy between us and God. But when you talk to those who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and right, because we see this, if, if we receive him at salvation, why does it keep saying they receive him? John 20, 22, Jesus breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. Well, those are the same people that were then in the upper room in Acts 2, so why do they need it again? Am I right? And then those same guys, at least two of them, James, I mean, Peter and John in Acts 4, they pray for more boldness. They want more. And so what happens? The room shakes and they get filled with the Spirit. Friends, if you're the devil and you want to get God's children to be as weak as, and as impotent as possible, you take away the very thing that gives them his power. You make it seem silly. You make it seem ridiculous. You mock it openly so that they're embarrassed of the very God that has brought them salvation. Am I right? I mean, go after that. Go after the very spirit that's going to uphold them and give them power. I don't preach this as someone who was born in this. I don't preach this as someone who has it all figured out. I speak this to you today to tell you that if you want to see ministry, if you want to see the power of God released in your life, you need to move beyond the I made a decision for Jesus moment and you need to say, I made a decision to have him come in and change every single part of me. I laid every part of me down. I gave it all over to him, right? Because that, that's where you're going to see the power that is talked about. Oh, there's so much good stuff. Yeah, well, I might have to just do a longer time setup. Let's pray. We're going to do communion. We want to be respectful of the teachers and the volunteers. Uh, but next week, we're going to go after some things. What is speaking in tongues? What is this? What is baptism? Is it a physical thing? What is the gifts? What is healing? What about faith healers? Is that real? Is that fake? What about revival? I only gave you one example of revival today, but there's another one in here, the Korean Pentecost of 1907 that uh, will rock your world. Who here would love to see revival in Santan Valley? Yeah. <laughs> Who's ready for what happens to those who start revival in Santan Valley? Okay, now go read the Korean Pentecost. And when I ask that question next week, I hope you're just as excited and happy when you read what happens to those when the God's Holy Spirit came upon them and now more than 2.5 million Koreans believe in Jesus Christ and it's one of the largest growing sections of the church and most faith-filled sections of the church is right there in Korea. Let's pray. Father, oh God, help me. May your spirit come. Lord, and just, I don't, I don't want to say fall on us because honestly, we're not ready for it yet. We're not prepared yet, but God, prepare our hearts for it. That over these coming weeks, there would be time and a moment, God, where you would fall on us, where you would bring about confession and repentance, that you would bring healing and forgiveness. Where brokenness exists, God, would you restore the lives of the people in this room? Where hatred exists, God, would you bring your peace and love? God, we're not ready for a falling of your spirit, but I pray you would prepare us to be. I pray you 
prepare myself and the leadership, Lord, to sit before you. Lord, we wanna see revival out here. We wanna see people saved. We wanna see our neighbors set free from bondage. We wanna see the sex slave crisis that is going on in the youth right now eradicated, Lord, in Arizona, which is one of the largest. God, help us be a part of that. Help us to count the costs, Lord, and to say yes. May we be led by your spirit as we go through this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to come to the table of the Lord to observe the Lord's Supper. If you didn't have a chance, we have communion on the back table in the little cups. We just ask that you have a relationship with Jesus if you're going to participate. When Jesus was with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it amongst themselves. And after doing so, he told them, this is my body given to you. And it is upon that body on that cross that my sin was placed, that my debt was paid. It was his hands and his feet that the nails were driven through, his head, the thorns were pressed upon. So when we eat this together, not only is it a sacrament and an act of obedience, but it is me proclaiming that until he returns, I receive that sacrifice unto myself. We bless this in Jesus' name. Let's eat together. In a similar manner, it tells us he took the cup and he told the disciples, this is my blood. That my blood would satisfy and cover you for the forgiveness of sin. That it would be the mark of a new covenant between almighty God and man. And that because of his blood, my sins are no more. I am given his righteousness. I am made co-heirs to receive the power of his spirit, his Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your blood. And we receive it now until the day you return.